0: Hi, this is Dr. Meg Hayworth, holistic psychologist and nutrition strategist, and you're listening to Get Well Soon podcast series, the show that explores how to heal yourself with food and the power of the mind. Hi, everybody. This is Dr. Meg Hayworth, and you are listening to Get Well Soon podcast series, uh, the show that helps you heal yourself with food and the power of the mind. Um, I offer holistic wellness solutions to abuse survivors with chronic illness using food and the power of the mind to heal the heart and heart to heal the body. Today we are in a collective global trauma. It's a wake-up call of mass proportion as people all over the planet are sheltering in their homes to stop this invisible threat of a virus called COVID-19. And as we sit in our own personal wake-up calls, I wanted to bring help to you. And one of the people that came up to me that I absolutely, I've been trying to talk to her for a long time (laughs) and it's never quite worked out. And so I see, you know, God is brilliant. So um, I see how this has worked out, I think at the perfect time, because a lot of people are having to deal with, um, narcissistic abuse, um, and in the house, Mm -hmm. shut in with, with your abuser. And, um, so, you know, I just, I thought, you know, Megan is just the perfect, Megan Fenio is just the perfect person to, uh, to help us with this, this, um, this problem, because she's been through it and she helps people navigate through it too. So um, Megan Fenio is an Air Force veteran. She's a licensed clinical uh, mental health therapist, speaker and trainer, host of the Blonde Bombshell podcast that I've been on before. (laughs) so much fun. Um, And she's also the creator of the I Am Enough movement. I Am Enough TV um, and founder of the international movement. Um, Which is a nonprofit organization, by the way. So she's an Amazon bestseller selling author, and recently published her book called "You Are Enough," which I actually have sitting in my lab. When we first met, we spoke at the same event and we traded books, (laughs) Um, which was you know really lovely. And um, so her book's really fantastic, and I highly recommend it. Um, So. You've just gone through a lot of struggles in your life, and I know uh, one of the biggest ones that really informed this book and how this book came to be um, was uh, narcissistic abuse that you were on the receiving end of from your ex-husband.
1: Yes. First of all, thank you so much for having me, Meg. Uh, You know how much I adore you, and I'm very excited (sighs) to be on your show today. Um, And yes, I uh, did... Was involved in a very narcissistic, abusive marriage um, that had some physical abuse with it as well, but it was it was a lot of the narcissism, definitely. Okay,
0: yeah, and I think um, you know a lot of people are talking about narcissism mm-hmm. these days and don't necessarily know what it is or think they're in a narcissistically abusive relationship and maybe aren't. Can you just talk about narcissism? Just define what is narcissism.
1: Well, narcissism, there's a lots of different parts that coincide with narcissism. And, and I do agree that sometimes people use this word and don't really understand what it means. Um, I know as a mental health therapist, narcissistic personality disorder, you know, I was very aware of, but when I was in the midst of my relationship, I did not know that I was in a narcissistic abusive marriage, but there's lots of different traits and different aspects of narcissism um, and narcissistic personality. And a lot of it has to do with grandiose um, and entitlement. So grandiose personality Mm. and and feelings of entitlement, lots of lies. Um, They basically feel like they make the the person that they love or the people that they love, they make them feel like they're, they're nothing. And so they're telling lies and they actually like believe their lies and Mm -hmm. they, their actions do not match their words. Uh, They definitely project. Uh, They can be very like the crazy thing is like they can be narcissistic. People can be liked by so many people and then behind closed door act completely different. So like, my ex-husband like was loved by everyone. I mean, everyone loved mm-hmm. him. And <clears throat> behind closed doors, he was a completely different person. All of the lies mm-hmm. and his actions not, you know, holding up to what his words are. And a mm-hmm. lot of it really had to do is that they lack self-esteem. They they make up with the grandiose and acting like they have it all together and acting like they're perfect because they mm-hmm. actually lack that self-esteem. And
0: so this is like this carefully constructive uh, reality that they create inside their own minds, and they kind of live in that story. Yes,
1: they act, and they—I honestly believe that they do not know the difference between reality, like, and the truth. Like, they do not know the difference between a truth and a lie, and what is reality. Like, they live in the reality of their own world, and that is the truth for them.
0: So if you don't join them there, what happens to you? Oh my
1: gosh! If you don't join them there and you don't worship them, basically, and you know are there to lift them up, they're going to the the number one thing is them calling you names like you're crazy, you're insane. Um, they tell you they align people against you. They tell you that everyone else is a liar. That like, and you'll like you might bring them proof and say like, no, you're lying. I have this. And they're going to say you're crazy. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. So then you end up feeling Oh my
1: gosh. That happened to me so many times. I would have physical proof of different lies and he would Mm -hmm. come and make up a completely different lie or he would be like, no, that's not right. I'm right. So the minute you try to defend yourself, the minute you try to not that you wanted to prove them wrong but you want that person to see that that hey like what you're saying is not lining up oh no like that does not happen
0: right right because again they won't be able to see what's actually happening because they can only see what they've right constructed in their own their own minds yeah um Wow. So, and so one of the things you're describing right now is gaslighting. Exactly. And I, a lot I was of just going to say it. that. Yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Tell,
0: can you tell listeners what gaslighting is and it's, what that's like to be?
1: Yeah. So it's a tactic and um, where a person uses different things in order to gain power um, over that person. And it makes that person who's like, for me, it made me question my reality. And so he's, he was doing all of these things. So like the gaslighting for narcissists are like the lies and them calling you insane and crazy and putting people against you and their misconceptions of like their actions compared to what they're saying. That is all gaslighting. So it's basically to gain power over you and to make you question your own reality and your own sanity.
0: Okay, so it's it's almost like they're turning the tables on you. Yes. Um, when it's really them. Yep. And making you think Look like that you're the crazy one. <clears throat> yeah. yeah.
1: So let me tell you can I share a story just real quick to make this oh my gosh, all make please sense? Do. Okay. Yeah. So I'll so the other part is love bombing, right? Of narcissism. So <gasps> Long story short, so I met my now ex-husband, and it was a whirlwind of a marriage. And what I saw at the beginning of the relationship was the love bombing gestures, where this is where he tried to show me um, over-the-top displays of affection and attention. So like romantic gestures. And I mean, I would get flowers every week delivered to my office. Extravagant trips, we had a a wedding in Napa, like just all of this stuff, everything. Like we lived in this five bedroom house, he had four vehicles of his own. So everything was just so grandiose and big and oh my gosh, like he loved me, like he literally had me on this pedestal. And then when we got married, things changed. And that's where the, the gaslighting started coming in, where I would start catching him in lies And when I would come to prove to him or or to talk to him about the lies, he would say I was crazy or it was my fault. For example, when I, he, um, he had an affair for 14 months of our two and a half year marriage. And at one point, right?
0: Yeah. That's typical of narcissists.
1: Yes. And of course it was my fault. I was the one that had trust issues. You know, if I would have done this, he wouldn't have done that. Um, And it was just like, so crazy that after the affair I remember asking him if he had gone to lunch that day and he was like no I didn't leave my office and I'm like okay well I saw this receipt hanging out of his work bag um, from earlier that day and it said Best Buy and he had gone to Best Buy at lunch that day and picked up some some movies or something and so I went to him and I said hey sweetie I was like hey like you said you didn't go to lunch today, but here's this receipt. And, and granted, it was after the affair, and you know, I wasn't like trying to catch him in a lie, but I was like, this is so confusing.
0: Right.
1: He was like, Megan, he's like, the cash register was wrong. It had the wrong date on it. I didn't go oh to my gosh. So as wow. simple as that. So that's the gaslighting piece, right? Mm-hmm. So I would have yeah. this proof, and he would make me think that I was crazy, and then it turned into this. You don't trust me. It's your fault. All of this stuff. Well, then right. over our six year, we were only married for two and a half years, but I was committed to him for a total of six years. He wow. filed for divorce four times and pulled <sighs> the papers four different times. And he kicked me out of our house twice. So when he would do that, that would be the discarding phase. Like when he would kick me yeah. out, Right he would be discarding me. And then I would be in this manic phase of like, oh my gosh, what did I do wrong? Like, I got to fix this. And then he would love bomb me. He'd ask for me back. I'd move back in the house. He would give me all of this stuff. We'd take trips. That would last for a little bit. And then the gaslighting would start. And then he would discard Uh me. So narcissistic abuse is the same type of of abuse, just like the, you know, the cycle of abuse. It's just a little bit different with the words, but that Mm -hmm. went on and on and on for six years. Oh
0: my gosh. Wow. And then just, I mean, the psychological damage Mm -hmm. that that would do to you over time. I mean, just even the first time it happens, but then you stay in it this, this long hoping things will change yep. and going through that cycle again. Um, and I think that's important piece right there is the cycle of abuse and yes. how most people equate that with physical abuse, but it's the same cycle. It's just, now you're talking about psychological abuse.
1: I am. There was, like I said, there was some physical abuse. I mean, both on my part, I'm not going to say that I wasn't perfect, you know, because I would get upset mm-hmm. and my manic episode, like I would have a manic issue because of something with him I mean, I blame it on the way he treated me, right? But I also right. am taken responsibility for that. But yes, there were, I mean, I've, I've had bruises on me. But, but what, what really traumatized me was the emotional abuse because that literally happened for six years over and over and over again. And that has been what's been the hardest part for me to kind of work through. And that's where all my trauma work came into was not the physical abuse, but was the emotional right.
0: abuse. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's so hard to be. I've been on the receiving end of that as well. Yeah. And I know for me, what I experienced was I wasn't seen, I wasn't heard, mm-hmm. I wasn't understood, and everything that I did or said was misconstrued. Yes. So, and that's the worst place to be. It's such a lonely place.
1: Mm-hmm. It as is. This
0: person, who's supposed to have your back, you know, who's supposed to be really there with you as your partner can't, it literally can't show up that way.
1: And as a therapist, you know, I have been a mental health therapist for 15 years and Mm -hmm. I didn't even understand what I was really going through at that time. Like I literally, you know, I grew up in a very dysfunctional family um, Mm -hmm. and trauma has has been a part of my life for, for many years. But I was, you know, I got married when I was 34 years old and had this great career as a therapist and just, it just didn't register. It literally did not register. I literally thought that I was the one to blame. He was so, he was so good at what he did by manipulating me. And it wasn't just me, thank goodness, because not thank goodness. And it's not like I want this to happen to any other woman. But when I found out that it wasn't just me, it helped part of my trauma work. It helped normalize the fact Mm -hmm. that it wasn't just me, uh, because I. What was? Go ahead. Okay, go ahead. No, go ahead. What was the moment
0: where you woke up, where you just kind of said, "I
1: love this story. Oh my
0: God, this is what what this was. This is, <laughs> you know, and this is now this, I've got the thing I can work with."
1: Yes, well, this it's kind of twofold. So, okay. the first part happened. Um, so, our divorce was final in 2016, but I stayed, you know, committed to him for two years after that. I. Ended up moving to San Diego away from him, but we still ended up dating. Um, We talked every day. I still caught him in lies. Like he came down to San Diego at different times. Um, And again, all of his his actions never matched up to his words. And he came down to San Diego in February of 2018. And I remember praying right before I picked him up from the airport. And I said, okay, Lord, and this is the first time I ever did this. Because I knew if I prayed this prayer, what was going to happen? Uh, God was going to show me (laughs) and I wasn't ready, you know, I wasn't ready. And I said this prayer, I said, okay, Lord, if this isn't meant to be, you need to show me because the affair and the divorce wasn't enough for me to walk away. And I kid you not within 24 hours, um, he was sitting in my house and I found out that he had moved in another girl into our home a month before our divorce was final. So I was already living in a new place um, and I had never returned to our home. So for the two years, a month before our divorce was final, he had bought her a brand new car. I was not allowed to get an attorney, so I walked away with nothing. Um, And she had been living in our home for two years, and I didn't even know she existed. So all of this time, even when I was in San Diego, he was with her and he was with me and that was it oh my
0: gosh and that's typical where narcissists will triangulate which means they've got
1: so and that was at least
0: three people in the mix all the time
1: and that wasn't even the woman he had the affair with this was a completely different woman and that's exactly right there's always another person there's always another for me like there was always another woman and it was just like i was the crazy one like i was making it up and so that day um we got in a huge fight. There was, you know, the police were called and I kicked him out of my house. Um, and so I've had no contact with him since February 15th of 2018. That was the first, the first moment of, okay. Cause I had lost my six figure income four months before that. So I literally had nothing. I had lost what I thought was the love of my life. My six figure income. Here I am 38 years old saying, what am I gonna do? And then I started writing and I've never been a writer, never thought I would publish a book, but I got my butt in my own butt into my own therapist therapy and started doing my trauma work and I started writing. And it wasn't until I was starting to write the Mr. N chapter, which stands for Mr. Narcissist. And I started doing research. Did I realize it like hit me like a ton of bricks? I was like, oh my gosh, this is it. This is him. Like, I would call, like, I, I remember I called him a narcissist once many years ago. And, of course, like, he got mad about it. And I, I just, mm-hmm. I kind of thought, like, it, it kind of went in my head and in and out over the years. But it wasn't until I literally, so it was about, I don't know, a month later, maybe three weeks later after I walked away from him, when I was starting to write this chapter where it hit me and I lost it. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, this is so hip. Wow. And even as a therapist, you know, and I had been, it's crazy. I was <laughs> seeing patients who were in domestic violence relationships, narcissistic, abusive relationships, like mm-hmm. in the midst of this six years. And I, it just didn't resonate with me.
0: Yeah. That it was it's me. so much harder to identify yeah. it when you're in the middle of it. Yeah. And it it takes time, and it it usually does take a moment where it just something clicks with you. And then um, something you just mentioned, that I think, is important to also uh, headline is that um, you went no contact immediately. Immediately, oh yeah, no contact, and why you do it?
1: So for me, I so he walked out of the house, uh, my house, February thirteenth. We went back and forth on email and phone calls because I had messaged his girlfriend. Um, on Instagram to let her know. And it was just, it was a dramatic two days. I mean, it's, I remember every, everything of those two days. Um, And I just stopped. I wrote, I never thought I'd do it. I wrote a seven page kind of like closure letter and I sent it to him. And um, I don't even remember the last email that I sent him. But he he has continued to email me. It's crazy that this, mm-hmm. and this is another thing too with a narcissist, like narcissists narcissist is like, I literally think he still thinks he has a hold on me because yeah. it's been over two years and he'll send, they've gotten less now. But for a while there, once the book came out, it was every couple of weeks, I would get this, these threatening, horribly mean emails. I'm going to sue you. I'm going to take your you know, therapy license, you're, you know, I'm going to start my own podcast. You're the abuse, like just everything. Right. And I just simply, you know, put the emails in a folder, you know, just to have in case I needed them. And now when I get them, it's just kind of, it's more, it doesn't rattle me up anymore because that's a
0: good sign. Yes,
1: it doesn't right now because nothing has come true. Like he's never, Mm -hmm. he's never done anything. He's never, filed for anything he's never sued me he's never anything um so i literally have not responded to him at all at all but i will get i've probably gotten you know over 25 emails from him since i stopped the no contact
0: wow and that's pretty critical with narcissists though i mean you do need to go no contact
1: you do it's so important Mm -hmm. it's so i would not i mean for, for me, what helped for me with that no contact that still helps today? Because believe me, there's so many times I've wanted to reply to him. But it's because, you know, it's what I, it's what I talk about. You know, I'm a speaker and I have the book. Yeah. And, you know, I really like to stand firm on my values of authenticity and integrity. And I don't want to, like, have contact with him and then tell people I don't. So for me, I'm lucky that way because that's one of my coping skills to help me not talk to him. Um, it's not that I want to talk to him. It's just, I want to put him in his place, but I know it's not going to matter, but that's right. the thing. Like they literally are so good at reeling you back in. And that's why I stayed. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, he yeah. kicked me out seven months after our marriage. That was the first time he kicked me out seven months. Wow. And he reeled me in and back and threw me away and reeled me in and threw me away for six years. And Ew, that's
0: a long time to go through that cycle
1: and and again as long as you don't i mean that's the only way to do this the only way to break free is to have absolutely no contact
0: yeah okay good good um now something i think is really important to talk about Mm -hmm. um is that uh you hear this maybe some people don't even know this but empathy is a huge piece Mm -hmm. of the narcissistic puzzle because they can't feel empathy Mm -hmm. So they look for somebody like you who's highly empathetic.
1: Yes. And can you, just, can you talk about <laughs> that? Piece? It's crazy. Cause I'm actually working on that, uh, in my own therapy still. Um, oh, okay. because I'm a very, you know, I'm an empath and mm-hmm. unfortunately, yes, us empaths, um, yeah. do tend to attract people that can't meet our needs, you know, and I have, I've had friends, In my life like that i've had you know family members in my life like that and it's just really learning how to set boundaries and really knowing your worth Mm, and so you are enough yes you are enough and (laughs) and i still you know i'm human so there's still times where i may let that boundary cave a little bit with a certain like with someone and then i find a way like they don't really care about me. Like they act like they care, but like their actions don't match up. They're just, you know, out for whatever is good for them for being in my circle or being in my tribe or this and that, right? Because it happens with women as friends and it also happens with men, you know? So it's, it's, I think the number one thing is if you are an empath, when it comes to relationships is really learning how to set boundaries to stay with those boundaries and also to know your self-worth. I think that those are the keys um, in being able to protect yourself from those type of people who are not able to provide empathy back towards you.
0: Right, right. And it's almost like it seems to me that they uh, find somebody who's empathetic so they can sort of pull the energy of empathy. Uh-huh. Do, do you know what I mean? It's sort of an energy get yeah. Um, that kind of gives them a jolt. And that's why they I think that's why they keep us on the line.
1: Well, yeah, because we want to make sure they're OK. That's what empaths do. We're going to do yes. everything. We're going to go above and because we're somewhat codependent. Right. I think I think every human being is codependent to a degree, but empaths are are more codependent where we're going to make sure that this person is okay before we make sure that we're okay, And that's exactly what narcissists thrive on is I want to find a person that is going to be at my beck and call, who's going to take care of me, who's going to baby me, who's going to allow me to treat them however I'm going to treat them. You know, because there were times where I wouldn't say anything and we would be fine. I would be miserable inside because I knew the truth. Right. But it was those times when I stood up and I'm I'm a very, you know, loud, um, I wear my heart on my sleeve type of person. And yeah. I lost all of that. I just became kind of this introvert soldier in a way that just yeah. didn't want to say anything and stand up for what I believed was right because- it wasn't worth it. And so yes. when he first met me, he, for some reason I was, he was able to change me into that person that I had no boundaries, you know, and I was, he was able to treat me however he wanted. Wow. And then,
0: um, you found your way out of this. Did, so yeah. can you talk about how you did that? Yeah. Um, yeah. How did, how did, how did this start where you just realized, I've got to uh, come out of this, this place that I've been in. I've got to turn this all around. How'd you do it?
1: Well, like I had said earlier, um, he had the whole incident that happened two years ago when he was in my apartment and I found out that he had moved in another woman, at that point in my life, I was lying to the people closest to me uh, that he was still in my life. So like no one knew he was down there in San Diego that weekend. Um, and it was crazy cause my best friend, my roommate now, uh, she actually flew in the next day from Chicago and she like walked into this, I had bruises all over me. She walked into this craziness of like, what just happened? Cause I was a mess, but she didn't know. I, you know, he became like my drug. Like I, I hid everything yep. from the people I loved the most. And so after that incident. When I had to call my friends and say, hey, this is what happened. I, you know, again, I said, I did it again. He, you know, why did I do this to myself? All of this stuff, that was, that was it for me. There was no turning back because he, even though I had lost everything, you know, I lost my income, I had lost everything. Standing there, knowing what I knew and having to like reach out to this other woman and, and tell her it was, it was enough. Like it, and he actually was fighting for her. He wasn't fighting for me. He was saying that I ruined that relationship, that I, it was all my fault. So he wasn't fighting for me. Wow. And so that was it. That was it. I I couldn't do anything more. He wasn't, I think it might've been different if he was living in the same city as me, maybe, I don't know. But he was, he was living eight hours away from me. Um, Yeah but that was it. I, I couldn't, I, I got caught lying to my friends. I was embarrassed. I had bruises all over me. Mm-hmm. I, I was yet at the other woman. It was, and I think by the grace of God, now that I look at it, losing my job at the same time mm-hmm. was a sign. It was God saying, okay, like I'm it's not that he took it all for me, but he like was literally saying, you gotta wake up. Like something has yeah. to change. And so I think it might have been a little bit different if I still had my job, but it was like a whole life overhaul at that moment. I had, there was nothing more I could do.
0: Wow. Yeah. So basically it sounds like you, we know the narcissist is a shell of a person to begin with, Mm -hmm. and then he breaks you down. So you become a shell of a person. Yep you know, like takes away your self esteem, your self worth, your self confidence, because like now you just can't even figure out what to do next. Um, so one of the things actually the um, uh, subtitle of your book is five steps to move from struggle to strength. Yeah. Um, can you talk some about your five steps?
1: I would love to. So I always like to share this just real quick before jumping into that. So that book um, was written during the most traumatic five months of my life. That's when I was doing my trauma work. That's when I literally was completely lost and didn't know, I couldn't even get out of bed in the morning. Um, And so those five steps that I write about in the book are actually the five steps that I worked through. So as I was going through my trauma work, I really didn't know that I was like writing these five steps, but um, if you notice Meg, they're kind of focused on the stages of change. Um, as a mm-hmm. therapist, you know this, like the pre-contemplation, yeah. contemplation, action, all of that stuff. So they're kind of focused mm-hmm. on that, but just phrased differently. But I went through each one of these steps. Um, and so that's why I always say my book is my saving grace. But um, mm-hmm. the first step is the hardest. It's the most difficult. It's the most scariest. Because this is it's step one, which is discovering your true self, which is this is where you do the hard raw, real work. It's admitting that life isn't where you want it to be, that you're not where you want it to be, that you are not where you want to be that you have literally hit rock bottom or that you're literally not happy and something's missing. And that's that's it. That's like discovering who I was meant I had, I went back to therapy. Um, Mm -hmm. A big part of discovering is acceptance, that radical acceptance of, accepting what happened didn't mean that I'm okay with it. Doesn't mean that I'm okay with it. It means that I'm accepting that it happened and it's no longer going to control me. And it also talks about um, reestablishing your values.
0: Oh, Ah, that's interesting because you really do lose your moral compass, you You know, your sense of values when you go through an experience like that. Yeah,
1: And so I lost every sense of who I was. And so I had to rediscover my values which was hard because it made me again realize the amount that i lost as a person so my acceptance did not come my acceptance and my closure did not come from him right because i was never going to get that from him what was such a defining moment in this first step for me was understanding that the closure my closure had nothing to do with him but it had everything to do with me it was about me Closing that person I had become when I was with him, okay. and once I was yeah, able, to...
0: which wasn't even you to begin. Yes,
1: with. and once you I know? was able to do that, once I was able to 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 accept that that I'm no longer that person, that's when I was able to move into like discovery my values, which jumped me into step two, which is um, visualizing your passion and purpose. So two years ago, I could have gone back to a full-time job at a hospital, Um, but I felt like I was meant to do something more. I could have been making six figures right after that, but I took a leap of faith. I took this time to figure out what my true passion and purpose was. And I started um, my private mental health practice. I wrote my book. Um, I was able to start visualizing me sharing my story to people and 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 to hopefully inspiring people and, and to believing, because during this whole time I was working on that, believing that I was enough and and inspiring people to believe that they're enough. And so <laughs> if you would have told me two years ago that I was gonna be a best-selling author, have a nonprofit, be a speaker, <laughs> like speak all over the country, have a podcast and a TV show, I would have laughed in your face, because two years right. ago I had nothing.
0: Right, right, it's amazing how quickly you have yes. built this. Um, And you did it really, you did it from your passion and your purpose. I did. I did. Talk about. So you started to visualize
1: this first. I started to visualize it. And then that led me to step three, which is kind of one of my favorite steps. Um, It's grounding yourself. And so when we um, start working on all of these things, all of the negative self talk comes creeping into our head, right? Like, you can't do this. You know, blah, 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 (laughs) blah, all of this stuff. And so grounding ourselves is. Different types of skills that you can use to help soothe yourself, either emotionally, physically, when these negative thoughts come into your head. And so, this was really powerful for me when it came to believing that I was enough. Um, and this is where, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit, but this is where the "I'm Enough" movement came into play. But this was way after the book was launched. But grounding yourself is different, you know different ways to ground yourself and to get over mental blocks and cognitive distortions um and then those are like the big three you know like those are the big three steps um step four is basically creating your strength plan so what that means is you know as therapists we have patients that do treatment plans right so that's kind of exactly what this is it's but it's like your daily planner so what are you going to do every day to help foster this new this new self, this new person, whether it be in your health, career, relationships, what have you, what are you going to do to maintain where you're at today? So it's it's scheduling your self-care. It's scheduling all the things that you have to do and including at least one thing that you want to do a day and making sure that you know you're, you're sticking with all of the things that you've been working on over the last months, years, things like that. And then the last step is um, strengthening your healthy habits. So that just kind of puts everything together. It talks about the importance of what I call your strength tribe. So finding your uh, strength tribe. And, I like that. Yeah, and having accountability, like finding accountability partners. For me, mm-hmm. I have accountability partners for different areas of my life. My roommate oh, is really definitely, smart. like, my main accountability mm-hmm. partner, but... She's not my accountability partner when it comes to being a therapist. I have an actual therapist, friend who's my account, you know, accountability for that. So it's just finding different people that can keep you accountable for different areas of your life. Um, so yeah, that's kind of like the basis that's kind of the rundown of the five steps.
0: That's great. That's wonderful. I love that. Yeah. And your book goes into more detail and you've got journaling um, questions yep. and for self-discovery, all kinds of tips. And um, it's very well organized and it's, uh, you know, I highly recommend it for listeners to get the book. You are enough five steps to move from struggle to strength by Megan, Megan <laughs> Thank you.
1: Um
0: Yeah. So that's definitely um, something I recommend. Um, but uh, in, in, you know we have a few more minutes and i do really want to talk about something super important right now um topical at the moment which is uh being on quarantine yes and you're on quarantine you're in a house with your narcissistic abuser what do you do
1: oh goodness um i had just done a facebook live on this uh with some other people some survivors um as well um and talking about those things you know, definitely is having kind of that safety plan in place. So whether it be, you know, you just have friends that you need to call, like maybe you have like a code word where you like text them because sometimes narcissism, you know, like abusers, like look at your phones. Sometimes they don't. Mine never did. He didn't care, which was complete opposite of uh, most Uh, narcissists. But um, so sometimes
0: me, they're right on top of you with right. everything.
1: Yeah. Yes, exactly. So maybe like have a code word, um, or something which just means like, hey, you want you need to talk, or you know, uh, you know, maybe stop over, or you know, something like that. So whatever that be, and and having like a safety plan of like phone numbers if you need to call, even like an emergency bag, because like I said, there wasn't a lot of physical abuse for my ex, but there were times where I just needed to leave. Because like I literally thought like he I felt unsafe or maybe I felt unsafe because I was going to do something to him or something like that. Right. So having that emergency bag and, and also just the emergency numbers and at least one person, whether it be a mentor or someone from your church or a friend that understands maybe not exactly what you're going through, but someone that you trust. Where you can just say, hey, like if I text you this, can you, that just means I need you to come over. Or that means I just need Mm -hmm. you to like call me or, you know, something like that. So it's really, really hard, especially right now. But it's sometimes I think just to be safe, we just have to be quiet, um, which I don't agree with. Um, But when we can't go out of our house, I think it's really important to pay attention to that. And, and, you know, really evaluate your safety. So if if it's something where you just have to close your eyes and, or roll your eyes and just, like, keep your mouth shut to be safe because you can't leave the house, then, unfortunately, that's something you have to do right now. Um, yeah. Which, I mean,
0: which yeah. sounds confusing because on the it one is. hand, it's like, okay, we need to learn to set boundaries. But when you're dealing with somebody like that, it's sometimes silence is your very best choice, right?
1: It is. It is, and especially because you can't just leave and go, I mean, you can, depending on where you're at, go to the store and and things like that, but sometimes it's not that easy, you know, and so it's just, it's different things like that, Um, and so that's, those are some, just some quick, easy tips, but, you know, finding different support groups, again, it just depends on how much your, you know, the abuser has access to, but like, there's lots of different, um, online support groups that are going on right now, even on Facebook. Um, you know, like narcissistic abuse, um, support groups that you can find on Facebook and just read posts and reach out to people and this and that, again, it just depends on, on how much access, you know, the abuser has to you. But, um, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. You really have to do think those things through and, um are there any other techniques or things that you might recommend that they do at home like if if they are able to get some alone time i mean i guess oh definitely i mean get alone time in the bathroom
1: lock the door maybe but anything you can do for self-care like i said is is so super important so whether it be journaling i think for me a lot of the things a lot of the thing that helped for me was writing But again, I have a lot of patients that I work with right now that are like, well, I can't write because he'll find it, which is, you know, understandable. But writing, doing uh, self-care, doing the work, you know, um, just different things that you can do, meditation, um, you know, there's all these different apps that you can download um, on your smartphone to just take you out of that situation for the moment and let your mind just go to a different place, a safe place, like having that safe place in your mind. It's what we call it like guided meditation uh, where you yeah. can create that safe place in your mind. And you can simply go to YouTube videos and, and, and Google guided or on YouTube and just put in guided meditation for anxiety yeah. or for sleep. And these YouTube videos will take you through an actual guided meditation. So anything you can do to release that stress, that anxiety, the fear, because like you talk about chronic pain, and I live with chronic pain, the more emotional stress and the emotional negativity that we have, the more physical pain we're going to feel.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because the body always remembers what you're trying to forget. Yep,
1: exactly. You know,
0: so, yeah. Yeah. So, and I, I, one of the things that I often talk to my clients about too is, is reminding yourself of who you really are because Mm -hmm. you'll forget when somebody pulls the rug out from under you, especially somebody that you, you feel love for, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, so reminding yourself, like, I am loving, I am kind, I am caring, I am, you know, a diplomatic, I'm, you know, whatever your skills, talents, or abilities are, just reminding yourself of those Things. yeah and if
1: people if your listeners go to my website they can actually download i have my top 100 positive affirmations um and that's Yay. they're absolutely they're absolutely free so they can download that there's a lots of free stuff i'm all about giving stuff away so there's lots of free resources on my website um that talk about affirmations um you can get like a checklist to the book It's kind of like a a quick guide to the book and and starting the answering the questions like right now. So, there's so many free things under the resources tab at my on my website.
0: Fantastic. Okay, what's your website?
1: Um it's just it's just meganfenyo.com.
0: Okay. So, m e g a n f e n y o e.com. Yep.
1: Okay. <laughs> I <got your> have <laughs> to book right here. <laughs> I was like, good job, girl. You did that good. <laughs> I
0: used to win spelling bees when I was a kid. So <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. True story. <laughs> it's amazing. Anyway. Um, yeah, this has been so enlightening to talk to you and to hear firsthand your story about what happened to you. And I thank you so much for your vulnerability.
1: Oh, of course. Thank you um, so much for having me. I love that we met and that we've been able to support each other in our journeys. And I just love everything that you're doing. So thank you so much for having me on today.
0: Thank you. You're so welcome. And thank you, everyone, for listening to this podcast. And please share it with as many people as you think might benefit. I know that's a lot of people. (laughs) Um, And also, please leave a review on iTunes um, and, uh, you know, download the podcast into your podcast app so that you can get updates as to when the the next one shows up. So um, thank you again. And I hope that this information will help you get well now. for more information go to meghayworth.com to sign up for our email list get your free copy of five anti-inflammatory on-the-go lunch recipes and access to our private facebook community thank you so much for listening